All right, here we go. This is, I think, episode six of the podcast. Today I'm here with Nani Chacon. Do you prefer Nani or Nani Ba? Nani's great. Nani's cool, yeah, huh? You've always known me as Nani. <laughs> I guess I have. I've seen your name spelled out in full, though, many times, so I know better. But we've known each other for a long time. Um, you're an artist I hold in high regard um, for you. quite a few reasons. And uh, ever since I started this podcast, I knew I wanted to talk to you. And in fact, we've tried to connect to do this a few times. So I'm glad we finally were able to get it together today. Um, so just uh, I want people who've never heard of you to kind of get feel for who you are as a person so let's just start real early like how did you grow up and where wow okay we're gonna go back (laughs) yeah that's the thing you know I want to know the story and I feel like if we tell the story from the beginning it shows in the work you know that you'll you'll see you know yeah um so I grew up in Chinle Arizona on the Diné reservation Um, and explain what Diné is it's Navajo. It's, uh, it's the word that we use for ourselves. Ah, so <clears throat> Navajo people don't call themselves Navajo. No, because it's not a, a Navajo word. Ah, <laughs> yeah. I think that's a really important yeah. thing for people to know. Totally, totally. Yeah, that yeah. not even the people who we put the title on use that title. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. no. Uh, okay. It, it, uh, yeah, well, our, the Navajo word for, for ourselves is Diné. Right. And it basically translates to the people. Okay. Um, but I grew up in Chinle, which is on the Diné Reservation, and it is probably most well known for having Canyon de Chez there. Mm-hmm. I grew up there. Um, my mom's side of the family is from there, and then my dad is from northern New Mexico, and when they met, uh, they met in Albuquerque, and my dad was building a house on the west side of town in Corrales, uh-huh. which is kind of kind of more a farming side of, of Albuquerque. What so, years was that? Uh, so I was born in 1980, so this 80. is like, yeah, this is in the 80 through 85. Okay. And uh, yeah, so I grew up, I always like to say I grew up in both places. I, I truly feel that. We, we went back and forth. Um, my dad was building a house, so he was kind of in, in the middle of that, and so he would come back often, and, and we would drive back, and we would be here some days, and we would we would drive back to the Reds and lived out there. How far of a drive is that? It's about four hours. Okay, that's not uh, too far. No, no, not at all. So <coughs> I definitely have had some a lot of years on I forty, um, and all of that, and I still think I'm doing the same commute still really connected to my family. All of my mom's side of family lives out there still. So mm. um, yeah, my grandma. And so I'm, I'm always going back. And also it's, um, it's just really important for me. It's, it's my home too. Sure, sure. I feel like that was uh, an experience that was pretty common among my friends, that my native friends when I was growing up here that they had family on the res that they would see a lot, but inevitably they would have to come to Albuquerque once in a while to, I don't know, do 
shopping, buy cars. I don't even know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or even the state fair or the, the big festival times, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, so when did you uh, go to public school on the reservation or here in Albuquerque? <clears throat> no, I, we moved back here full time when I started school. Okay. Um, so I, I went to, yeah, I went to school out in Morales. Mm -hmm. Which is a town just basically just north of Albuquerque. Yeah, yeah Just on yeah. the river, just so people it's, know where that a, is. It's a village. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is. I mean, what's the population of Corral? It's a few thousand? You know, it's yeah, small. sure. <laughs> well, what's the re what's the reservation population? Oh man, I think I looked it up. I mean, the entire res, or just no. where just where you grew up, just so people oh. have an idea of you know, like the you didn't grow up in a big city, obviously. No. You grew up on a reservation in Arizona. I want to say like less than two thousand. Yeah, that's about what I would figure. Yeah. Sure. Something okay. Like that. Pretty spread out. Did you have an interest in the arts early on? No, not at all. No, um, just being a kid, having fun? Yeah, I, I don't, I mean, I think kids by nature are artistic. Like, you think sure. in an artistic way, you think in an abstract way. I agree. You're a child. But I wasn't into drawing, I wasn't into really um, making anything, where I wasn't like talented. I think that that's like always something that gets projected on you if you're a professional artist is like you, you were given this like god-given talent and you were some kind of you know <laughs> like i feel like some people like some people seem to kind of have it and you can see that as a kid it's and other people you, you just got to apply yourself and learn the technique and just do it over and over and over i don't think that having talent isn't automatic you know, thing that you're going to be good, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I don't think that because you don't have inherent talent per se that you can't get really good. It's true. Yeah. You know? I mean, there's also those that are very talented and don't do anything with it. But um, Absolutely. Yeah, early on I didn't really, um, you know, do any kind of art. I, I used to draw horses. I that did was, too. The, really? That's funny. Well, um, there was a book, uh, Lee J. Ames. It was the author, and he did these books, How oh, to Draw, draw 50, thing, <laughs> yeah. 50 of this, 50 of that, right? And one of them was horses, and yeah. it broke it down into simple, like, rectangles and circles, right. you know? And, to, and then once you understood the mechanics of it, you could draw horses in any position kind of you liked. Totally. You know? I remember those books. Yeah. Um, I still have mine. <laughs> yeah, it was just... I think I drew um, more just like fantastical horses sure. um, when I was little. I, I wanted to be a horse. Like, ah. I totally thought that that was what I could be when I grow up. That's um, pretty fresh. Yeah, like I, I think until I was like seven or something, yeah. people would ask like, what are you going to be? And I'd just tell them I was going to be a baby pony. <laughs> and, uh, That's really cute. <laughs> yeah. That's really cute. Oh Weird. my God. But um, yeah, I don't think I mean, aside from that, from just kind of being obsessed with that, you know, by nature, I wasn't really, you know, pursuing drawing or, hmm. or anything like that. Were you riding horses as a kid? Were there horses I did, around? Yeah. I feel like I, there would I be. A, I had a pony, and Corrales was really interesting because it was farm community, um, but there was people who had ranches and people who had horses and some were working horses some were show horses it just depended and it was really diverse economically in that way and that you know i'd have friends that had 
you know, who had, who had land and, and different things for different reasons. Um, huh. But I had friends, you know, from all different backgrounds, and that was the one thing that probably we all had in common was that we grew up in a place that had expansive land. So I was always outside, always, you know, doing whatever. People had horses, people had chickens, things like yeah, that. Yeah, that's corral. Yeah, irrigation, yeah. and we'd play in the ditch and sure. uh, ride bikes everywhere. And that yeah. Was, that was it, yeah. It sounds like a really good childhood, actually. It was, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm thankful for that. You know, out on the res, too, I, I really had a lot of time just to be outside. And I don't think, you know, we were ever really inside too much. Um, to play video games, like that was about it, you know, but even at that, it wasn't really my thing, you know, so. Nah, it wasn't really mine either, especially once the video games moved into home, mm-hmm. you know, I played in the arcades and totally. stuff, but when the uh, home machines came out, my parents were like, no, absolutely not, that's not allowed in the house, you gotta play that at your friends' places, and we would, you know, but I, I remember that. Um, so, th- where did you end up going to high school? I went to Cibola High School. Cibola. That's yeah. cool. I think one of my nephews might go to Cibola now. I yeah, it was, it was, a, this, that side of Albuquerque at the time was really changing. Um, the west side of town was pretty, like there wasn't a whole lot of stuff out there. If you went out I remember there. Cibola didn't have any houses around it no, for a while. It was, like, there was, it was just a, out in the middle of the desert kind of, and you're like, why did they put this <laughs> here? But then this town built up around it. Right, yeah. yeah there was, a, like now there's all, you know, everything that is everywhere else in America is right there. Sure. Um, but yeah, there was like um, an airport, a small airport runway. Huh. And we used to go down there and smoke weed, and that was like about it. Every yeah. everybody else was kind of spread out. Um, Real Rancho was still developing. Uh, that school housed like three different areas of town or four different areas of town, and so it was like very crowded because it was the only school on that side of town. Yeah, they needed to put a school <clears throat> there for sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, but yeah, that's where I went to high school. Um, did you take art classes there? I did, I did. Um, but again, I wasn't really too much into... It was just another class, kind of? Yeah. Did you do it at home, after school? Did you make art no, stuff? No. No, <laughs> no I, yeah, I, that's I, why I asked, yeah, you know. Yeah, it's, totally. it's interesting. The thing that got me into doing art was, was graffiti. I think a lot of people, it's it's that way. Yeah, it was yeah. like, I I mean, I think you always kind of fool around and you doodle and you, you draw things that are maybe silly or, you know, when you're writing notes or something, yeah. You, yeah. you do that sort of stuff. But I wasn't taking anything serious as, as an artist, even in high school, even with the art assignments and yeah. stuff like that. I would just kind of do what, what I had to do. Um, but yeah, I started getting into graffiti in high school. Ah, I was gonna ask when that, when that, cause that's, I, you know, I, we were talking earlier, I think that's how I first knew about you or met you or put a name to you was, you, you were writing Cupid. Wasn't it Q-P-I-D? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, but um, you had really good teachers. I remember seeing the stuff that you did and it was dope and being like, what? Yeah, it, 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 uh, that's one thing I can always, I, I'm always thankful for is 
because I think later on as an artist, I got to see that <clears throat> very transparently that I, I learned a great deal from that practice and being able to do that. And then everything that you do in, in doing graffiti is like accelerated because you're doing it outside and you're doing it in front of all your peers. And mm -hmm. it's kind of like, you don't want to put ugly shit out there even though we all put ugly shit out there. I sure yeah. did, all yeah. over <laughs> Albuquerque. Right. Um, yeah, and it's just like this need to get good. You know, you kind of have this pressure on you to like learn things. And there was, there was this whole ethics that I think taught me ethics in real life and taught me ethics as an artist later on um, that I'm really thankful for. But yeah, the way I got into doing graffiti was... Um, basically from like hanging out in, in arroyos um, and arroyos are the like, these big concrete ditches that are all over albuquerque yeah yeah just and, so people know and, and they're also the things that the skateboarders come from all over the world to utilize so that's that's the connection was i hung out with the skater crowd of course and i would go down there with my friends mostly to like smoke weed and watch them skate and there was a wall, um, a couple of walls. There was one right behind Cibola, um, that, like, that was a yard that people were. That's the up. only place that I ever got arrested. <laughs> yeah, and they started building houses there, so it got yeah. even like crazier. But I think that was the first place I ever came in, too. Hmm. And then, um, and then the other one was up in Paradise Hills. They started building all of these. All of these arroyos to divert the water from the mesa mm -hmm. and we were going up there they had this really cool like concave one hmm. and i remember actually first seeing like an omen piece hmm. and before that um seeing sofa around that time sure and just being completely blown away like not understanding how somebody could do that like just not understanding how somebody could bomb and how somebody could climb up a building or like up a building and go down the face of a building sure and sure paint something and just like, well and be all over town right, right like right. that i remember that being a trip just yeah. being like whoa this is everywhere actually and right. i keep seeing the same names all over town and um yeah i just I, I didn't i think i didn't understand it and that was the initial curiosity was just like not not knowing how people did this who was this was it more than one person you know how did they how does it so perfect how is it so clean you know how are they doing that uh, i was mystified by exactly the same thing and yeah. uh and then every time you know i'd hang out with my friends it was changing so i i mean i was only going to a few different yards just by chance and um and i had friends that tagged i mean i, I always knew the tagging world I feel like everybody had yeah. a tag back then <laughs> well and i think like in albuquerque there's also the gang Absolutely. All of that. So, you know, I always like knew about tagging and knew like that whole thing, but graffiti writing was different, and and that was right. The next level up, say from tags and throwups, when you start to see nice pieces where there's color fades and there's con letter construction, you can tell they're really taking their time. That's a much, uh, it's a it's a different level of it. Yeah. And yeah. I think even like regular folks on the street can appreciate like the really fancy nice ones like mm -hmm. that and really kind of hate the bubble letters and the tags, <laughs> you know. It's true. 
Yeah. But to me, it's all just various forms of the same thing. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think learning, and then I learned it in that way. Yeah. um, Thereafter, it was just like, you know, making the choice, right? Like, just like making the choice to do it and then then hitting up people like, hey, you know, I I think I'm going to go paint or I'm going to go. I remember one of the first times I went with a friend of mine. Right now, I'm a writer, and uh, <laughs> and he was like, "Oh yeah, like want to go paint?" And I was like, "Yeah." And we went down to this yard, and I just remember he started just like tagging everybody's shit. Oh no! <laughs> Burners, pieces, everything. Yeah. He was like, "Get up!" and like wrote my oh. name, and I was just like, "All right." <laughs> yeah. No, that's how you learn. Like destroyed the whole everything. Yeah. And uh, how old yeah, were you? Fifteen. That's right? what happens. Yeah. That's that's the introduction to it. And uh, yeah, and then I was just like later on was like, oh my god, I can't believe I did that. Sure. But um, but yeah, like you know, reached reached out more um, to different people and yeah. And I I liked it. I liked it because it wasn't. I think the graffiti world was always very diverse. Also. Yeah. It, it always gets kind of like thrown in with hip hop, but sure. I met writers that were like, you know, into all different things. I think that's a very important thing to point out to regular folks that are listening, kind of too, that graffiti isn't inherently a hip hop activity at all. And even at the beginning, a lot of those guys that were painting the subway trains in the '70s were into Led Zeppelin and Ozzy, yeah. and were doing LSD, and were these goofy ass white kids in some cases, you know. And that's the thing; it's like. Uh, it's much bigger than that. Even when I went to the Bay Area, mostly it was like punks right. and, and straight edge hardcore kids that were writing graffiti. I, you know, even like the A Team crew that I was in was kind of a real hip hop crew because all those kids were into break dancing and rapping. But it was different. It was very different than the other crews even in San Francisco. I feel like at the time, you know. Yeah. I think there's crossovers for sure, but it's not inherently a hip hop thing. Yeah, I remember being in high school and, and uh, people would always, you know, once I started getting better at graffiti, of course, like everything you have is covered. Like, you know, then sure. it's like known, you know, you know, you know that person's a writer because you just like you know the signs or whatever. They got paint on their body and sure. their clothes and their books and everything, their backpack. Yep. But I remember being hit up all the time and people would be like, oh, where are you break dance? You cipher? <laughs> sure. Like, no. No, 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 sure. That's assumptions people make. It's cool though that that you found such a community and like an ethics. I wanted to get into that a little bit because the ethics thing comes up a lot when I talk about uh, uh, street artists Mm -hmm. where they don't really have an ethics system that the graffiti writers have. You know, because we have this point of conduct where you don't go over somebody, or if you do, you know that could be a fight. You could be asking for a fist fight, literally, and that you're, uh, yeah, you you know, even side busting. You know, like you don't tag too close to somebody. You know, or a spot jocker. You found a really nice spot that had never been hit before, and it was lasting. And then somebody else comes along, paints next to it, and then it gets buffed immediately. Right. Right. So there's all these like things you know there's a hierarchy to it and i think that that's the you know like in uh, a lot of cities there were lots of really old graffiti pieces that the graffiti writers themselves 
had like maintained and allowed to run because they were historical. But then the street art era came along and those were the first things to go. Yeah. And to us as graffiti writers, that's a real slap in the face. Okay. I mean, even the beef between Robbo and Banksy. Yeah. I don't even know if you know the particulars of that one, but like Robbo is a real graffiti writer, Banksy's the street guy. Yeah. And it's just been this back and forth between the two of them, you know? And it's just, uh, it, it's an interesting, uh, I think introduction for people to understand that, that, that world of graffiti writing, you know, and how different it can be from what you might think of as just the same because they're using spray paint too, yeah. as in the spray, yeah, sp the street artists. Completely not the same. I always, I don't, I, I'm, I'm gonna be honest in that I don't know a lot about street art culture. It was never anything that I got interested in. Um, Which is, Fantastic for me to hear, considering you're doing the street art kind of festival stuff and you get hired yeah. by the same people yeah. now. But you're a painter, you're yeah. a muralist. You're not trying to attach yourself to a street art label. No. Maybe because you come from the graffiti background and you know <laughs> the difference and you're not gonna front. I kind of felt like, well, okay, for those three things for me, um, just to say it out there is, they're very, very different and they all come with don't know a whole lot about street art culture because I never participated in it. For me, honestly, I kind of felt like street artists were the people who were into like like painting graffiti but could never do letters. <laughs> like part, it, part of that and, and I what about the legality aspect of yeah, it? Yeah, I mean I, I always think that that was the big difference was for me painting uh, graffiti was about letters. Like it was about following that lineage of style and following that line and understanding the mechanics of the flow um, of yeah. air, of yeah. air and the way that that worked on a, on a surface. Mm -hmm. um, a character was merely something to accentuate that. Like it wasn't something that was the, the product. Icing on the cake. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was like but the the word is still <laughs> the cake, right? Yeah, yeah. The the yeah the word your name was the was the cake. That was it. Yeah. That was and the better that you, I think the abstraction side of it and being able to put something up that was like for this community of individuals who could who knew what that was who could read it not just read it um, phonetically but be able to read it stylistically. And is that like you mean you can see a piece by any writer and you know and it doesn't matter the word but this if you, you will recognize the style yes yeah and, and i also, think that's something people need to know that's the whole point for us it's true. you it's should true. It, you know at a certain point you should be able to write any word and people will just be like oh that giant did that or yes this guy did totally. that it, yeah and, and having that style be your own, like have, having that, I mean, that's where a writer comes in is when somebody's taking your style that you didn't give them, you sure. know, and they're doing something like that. I don't see that scene transferring in characters. I don't, because I think the characters that I was doing when I was a graffiti writer, I was writing them anyway from like comics and I think that's part of the graffiti tradition, though. I mean, I think we were all shown Vaughn Baudet comics and, and told, right. oh, the guys in the 70s painted this little Cheech Wizard guy and this right. little lizard right. dude. And, 
you know, they put, they put them on trains and it's perfectly fine to just take something from pop culture and put it up there. Now then there's the next level to that. It was like the mugs, those, uh, the New okay. York profile <laughs> characters that okay. like TC5 and TNB, you know, and that's, a, that's then a different thing that took the comic book thing and then gave it like a real graffiti, like that, to me, that's a graffiti character. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I and then from there, there's a range of how you interpret that. Right. And even my characters don't fall within that classical tradition, but I kind of learned from Twist, yeah. who was a very so different thing too, you know? Exciting era style. I really When? Um, I think when, I mean, that's like... What years when, are you thinking? Like, well, I think everything under 2000. So pre-2000. Yeah, pre-2000. When did the... That's kind of pre-internet. Yeah, and I, I think that that was, that that was an exciting time for graffiti. I mean, for me, I, I always said this a long time ago that I was never going to be like an old person and be like, oh, you know, you guys don't know what it was like and you know, that sort of well. stuff. But I do think, honestly, that there was... It was a very different culture pre-internet. Um, because sure. they, I think it was a very tight-knit culture and, you know, one of the things... We had to go physically meet each other. Yeah. We it's had true. to. Or, or you call on the or phone. Or like pen pal. Kind I of did thing. that a lot too. Yeah. That's how I got all the photos over the years. Yeah. Pen pals of people all over the world. And, yeah. and you would, you know, send out these packages or send out these things and maybe you didn't know them, maybe you'd meet them down the way, you know. Sure. You'd trade them things from your city and I think that that was just like a very genuine exchange and I think that also played into ethics right like that also played into how you were given something how how you were connected with that person now it's kind of like you know people just swipe a style off the internet you know oh I hear it all the time yeah no I feel like my my man he met uh in Denver just posted a thing where he explained that a writer had called him out on biting and it was basically these like uh it looks like transparent uh, rectangles kind of over the piece. So it adjusts the tone as it goes over each different color of the piece. And, and it's something that Emit was doing, oh my God, decades ago, 20 years ago. And so to hear this young man like kind of call him out on biting, and it's just like, whoa, bud, you have no idea what you're saying. Like, this dude's in his 40s and has been writing forever and did this way back in the day and occasionally throws it into his pieces once in a while. But who are you, bro? (laughs) Just because of the, you know, the Instagram and the internet and stuff, I think people can unjustifiably claim things too, not realizing that there's... There's been decades of innovation and experimentation and ex- abstraction that we're not bragging about. Right. <laughs> you know. And the part of that is, um, I think sometimes I think even now, and this is, I mean, I don't, I'm not a writer. I don't call myself a writer right now. I, I don't. Sure, think, I'm not um, writing either. <laughs> I hear you. And I don't, I don't participate in the culture. <coughs> but one of the things that I think is maybe maybe that fosters that is like when you're looking at graffiti or at least when I look at graffiti every now and then I'll look at stuff on the internet like you see so much stuff at such rapid rates that you're you're ingesting that you're ingesting all these images I mean this Mm -hmm. just goes for same with the internet and 
I think people just like inherently fight. Like it's just stuck in their brain, and there's no other way to like retransmit that out. Right. Um, because it's so it's so big, right? Like, right. I mean that. Well, we remember when there were regional styles. Like when pe- somebody could look at a photo and be like, oh, I'll bet that's from Albuquerque. Yes. <laughs> or I'll bet that's from San Diego or New yeah. York or L.A. or wherever. Chicago had a very distinctive style, you know. But now it's, yeah, it's just kind of, it's just this big open worldwide thing and everybody can be influenced by everybody, you know. I so it can be harder to maybe uh, innovate. I think that there's also a population of writers probably never painted anything illegal. Mm. I mean, and, no. and I, and, sure. and that was, I mean, going back to, to the ethics of, of painting and understanding kind of your place and mm-hmm. coming up with that mentality was, that, that was key, you know? Absolutely. And, and that's one of the things that really differentiates myself, like right now saying that I'm not a street artist, I'm not a graffiti writer, I do murals, but also like my mindset in creating this, the kind of work that I do now um, is very different. Like I think of it as... So yeah, let's, let's get into that a little bit. Like, well, first of all, how, how did that get started? Because it sounds like in high school you weren't tripping. Did you go to college and study I did, art? Yeah, and, uh, no, I studied education. Again, not, <laughs> no, like, I'm just saying it. I'm just cu- so, so curious about like, how, how did that get in? Because it, it seems like you, when I look at your work, it seems like you've been working f- for your whole life. You know what yeah. I mean? And, and that's just it. That's, um, that's the interesting part to me is when, when, did it, when did it start to, you know, become part of your daily life? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say from 15, on that was like graffiti definitely taught me that kind of work ethic of like working at something every day like i mean it was right. an obsession it was right. something that i just like wanted to get good at and, and the more i unraveled the bigger it became you know the more intricate it got the more challenging it got and and it just it, it never stopped and from there i became largely interested in typography huh. um not just I mean, that was really one of the things that I think made me excel in becoming a writer was understanding the structure of letters. Um, when I first started out doing graffiti, of course, I like wanted to do like, oh, I'm just gonna do this. And then it was like really taking it back once I, I started meeting other writers who taught me um, just how, how to structure form, right? How to, how to bring it back to basics, how to, how to make a really nicely balanced, composed letter. Yeah. Um, and when I was in college, I took a typography class. And Where did you go to school? I went to UNM and I also okay. went to Cal State LA. And okay. when I was in Cal State LA, I took a typography class. And the woman had studied um, in, she had studied somewhere in the Netherlands. Um, okay and learned like all of these very formal techniques. And she, it was like, you know, she was telling me when she learned that they had to, one of like for months had learned to like draw a straight line down the center of a sheet of paper because that was like the basis, right? That was the, the, the premier form that you would start any wall, anything was understanding the center. Mm-hmm. And 
So these like little tidbits, right, of this like very archaic science of drawing letters was like really fascinating to me. And I started learning more typography. Um, when I came back from LA, I had gotten into doing other kinds of artwork. Um, a lot of my peers who were graffiti writers were also um, just doing amazing, amazing, amazing work. Like some of them, a lot of them are older, from an older generation, so like around the time I met you and yeah. your work. I was always inspired by you. Sure. Um, That's cool. But like saw the work that you were doing just for like skateboard companies and of course like seeing these subcultures that I was like immersed in. Mm -hmm. um, but then now like seeing all of my friends doing the graphics, the design work, like seeing things out there that my peers were doing was very largely inspiring and it made me want to kind of go more into illustration. Mm -hmm. um, at the time, my partner, um, he was also a graffiti writer. He was a tattoo. And I think that that was really like my exposure to more art. Like, just art all over the world. Like, not just graffiti. It's kind of that way with tattooing, where you kind of have to understand all Everything, the different cultures right? work, and yeah, it opens up a whole can of worms. Yeah, so through our relationship, um, yeah, I was just looking at a tremendous amount of work. I, I think from the point, from the time that I was 15 and doing all of this, one of the other things that was really important that I reflect on is that I was submersed in an artist community. Um, yeah, we were doing shit illegal, we were doing shit outside, we were doing yes. shit on trains and whatever else, but it was still an artist community and it was still all this, um, you learn things like how to network, how to look at things, how to break things apart, we're constantly critiquing each other, we're constantly um, you know, looking at our stuff to make it better, you know, you're constantly thinking about process all of these kind of formal things that maybe people learn it in school, maybe they don't, I don't know, I never went to art school, I don't know what they teach you, but I mean, I think that that's maybe what you would learn, I hope. Um, on some level, but sure. But I think from early on, maybe those, those were the things that really taught me how to be an artist, you know, is like being around other artists, looking at my peers, learning from my peers, um, having mentors, I had many, many mentors, um, and I think just always being inquisitive, always trying to trying to challenge myself and do something different. Um, yeah, I frankly that's what I see in your work. <laughs> Even just being in your studio right now, it's like I haven't seen your new stuff in a while, and it's on another level again. You know, <laughs> it's really, really cool. So how did how did uh, how did that develop? I mean, did yeah. you just start making stuff and people started showing interest in what you were doing? And yeah, I started painting um, with acrylics. I I actually I started I started drawing, doing illustration stuff um, when I think around the time we were living together. Yep. Me and me and Mike lived together for about a year. Um, yeah, totally. With, yeah. With, uh, 
Totally. Yeah, he was hopeful enough to let me live it there for <laughs> a little while. But around that... It was a dope spot. Yeah, it was fun. I always yeah. think that was just like such a fun time, too. I have fond memories of that time. Total, total art house. Total it was. It was. You could come home and somebody would be working on something. Yeah. That was dope. Yeah, it was really, really a good vibe. We always had people coming in and, and through. Even getting tattoos in the kitchen. Yeah. That was fresh. <laughs> I loved it. That was awesome. But yeah, around that time, um, I started painting. I started kind of, kind of like fucking around with paints. And, yeah. And um, you know, just trying to figure it out. I took an oil painting class at UNM. Just like a one-off. Yeah, it was just the introductory sure. oil painting, and I I loved it. Um, I don't know. I think that's exactly what uh, school is great for. Yeah. In, in that way, like you had interest in oil painting, you're like, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna take an oil painting class. They give you all the basics on how to thin, thick, how to make it dry faster, slower, how to move it, how to mix it, all the basics, I would imagine. Totally. Right? And, and then, I, boom, in college, you're good. I took, I took as many like introductory art level classes as I could. I think the, in drawing, I really loved, I really got into figure drawing at that time. Um, and again, that was somewhat of like the tattoo influence thing was I really got into like turn of the century era illustration. Mm. And for me... Oh, like like 1800s into 1900s or... Yeah, yeah like okay. 1800s, I'd say to mid-centuries. So yeah, okay. That whole era of illustration. Which is just, my favorite too. It was just like blowing my mind. I mean, yeah. for me, that was like the top of an artist that you could be because I felt like they were proletariat, they understood letters, they could paint, they could illustrate, they could do render the figure, they knew how to put that all together. It was just like, I... It was I, that era before we relied on photography. Yeah, totally. And it was illustrative and fun and fantastical. And mm -hmm. um, I really got into really studying, studying that, that time of art. And I took a lot of figurative drawing classes because of that. Um, that's probably the one thing that I took more than just like um, a hundred level class for. I took, I got, I got pretty into it. I took anatomy. Um, sure, well, I think it shows. <laughs> yeah, I, did, I, I drew. It feels like you're painting anatomy versus like, like the way that I do where it's like this graphic approach to the body. Yeah, you know? I mean, and that, I think that's really the thing that helped me understand the body the most was taking anatomy and um, I took a I took a anatomy drawing class like we drew from cadavers um, rad wow and that was really challenging and understanding that you're drawing in three dimensions you know which also again I understood because of graffiti um, right. really putting in that third perspective and thinking about rounding and weight and stuff like that mm-hmm um, but after I got out of college, um, around the time we were still living together, it's when I got pregnant. Oh, yeah. And um, that was the time that I think probably was like my bigger transition. Well, yeah, right? And Isn't that always a huge transition yeah, into motherhood? Yeah, and it was really just like, you know, being like, oh, oh shit, yeah, I can't paint. <laughs> like, I can't like go out and be around fumes and you know, be around spray paint and big you know, game changer. I yeah, I can't yeah. be be out there. So that 
is really that collective studio time, and that's really when I just kind of put all of that energy into painting. Good, yeah. Yeah. Well, it seems like it paid off, frankly. Yeah, and I loved it. It was it was a different. Um, it was just a, it was like switching gears, you know. Mm -hmm. It was like mm -hmm. being able to do something controlled and calculated, but it was still challenging, and it was still. I could still have fun with it um so yeah it was just it was different and at the time everything was becoming different <laughs> so absolutely so it was it was a good move um yeah uh, how, like how long was it let's say before you started uh getting interest from galleries and clients and whatnot because I think a lot of people are probably at that space where you're at where you were back then yeah. where you were just painting learning getting it doing it hard into it without any real did you have a goal in mind per se to turn it into your way of earning a living no I think at that point I was interested were you teaching back then? I was teaching. I was yeah. a school teacher. You were a yeah. school teacher. That's something we should mention. How many years did you do that? I taught for seven years. In the public school system here in Albuquerque? Yeah. That's rad. Yeah, yeah. And so then in, at night, let's say, or in your free time, whenever that might be, you might be working on paintings and stuff. Yeah, I was... I, I was, feel like that's what I remember. Yeah, I was kind of, yeah, leading the double life a little bit. Yeah. Um, even at work, I remember just kind of being distracted a lot. And <laughs> sure. And stuff. The sure. thing that I think started getting me into doing shows, though, was um, around that time, I think graffiti started moving into galleries. Mm. And it was like kind of this thing, right, that they would have like a graffiti art show. Sure, and which frankly I don't think happens everywhere, but Albuquerque has that kind of scene. They, they do those kinds of things. There is these underground little shows that happen that are very like yeah, that, that not mainstream and it always is happening here I feel there like. Was a, I mean I, I participated in some in, in LA mm -hmm. and I also, there was a collective that I was a part of in New York called Unity at the really interesting um, in that it was like a group of writers women all women writers of multi generations um, two fly and Alice um, Mizrachi mm. was the ones who had started it and mm -hmm. it was just it was really 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 interesting and they were interested in, in showing just work of, of women from, from all over and I think it was like being in that time of like being a graffiti writer, but also creating work that didn't necessarily look like graffiti, um, it just like brought opened up doors. You know, it just because I, I wasn't necessarily doing graffiti, but I was still making art. So and I still yeah. had this like past of being a graffiti writer. So but the work that I was interested interested in making and showing was really different, right? Yeah, totally. So. Um, so yeah, I started I started doing that and it just kind of it just kind of snowballed and I kept making work. Um, mm -hmm. How about in, the the murals? Were, were you yeah, starting to do so, those back then too? No, I actually like didn't even think of any of 
anything like that. Mm. Um, at that time, I was mostly painting. Um, canvas, right? Canvas and some pieces on wood. Mm -hmm. I had, they were mostly figurative pieces. I had done this work where I was like kind of rewriting this pinup culture. Pinup. I was like, yeah, I was like taking reference from all of these like really old uh, advertisings. And it was. Well, like, and we should probably say pinup is a term probably people don't know these days unless you're an artist or you're talking oh, about like the, right. the glamorous girls yeah. in dresses and whatnot that would have been popularized by Alberto Vargas as an example. Exactly. There's a whole lineage right. of people who worked within that kind of pinup form. I think even the term pinup came from the soldiers pinning up the pictures from the magazines. Yeah. Like a Playboy centerfold, you might say, you know, put it up on the wall, a pinup. You know, mm -hmm. um, but you you got interested in that. And yeah. I can kind of see how anatomy, figure drawing, and I feel like the pinup artists really kind of took it to a different level. Yeah, I, I think I was just more exposed to that. Of course, um, meeting a lot of tattoo artists, kind of seeing because pinups are a classic uh, tattoo design. Okay based on those old poses from the 40s and 50s and the hairstyles and those funny swimsuits and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And it's just like, I mean, it, I, I, I think I was also drawn to the way that these women were always drawn and it was like kind of these like, it wasn't natural in any way. It was kind of almost like a dancer or like, um, like this very kind of weightless, kind of fantastical way to pose the body. Um, and some of it didn't even make sense, but I, right. I just thought it was, um, like the form of it was very beautiful. It had like this very interesting flow and it had a way to work with the surface and the composition. And so I started emulating all of this, like, you know, mid-century illustration of women, pinup design. And it was like all these white women. <laughs> and I was just well, like, sure. oh my God, I gotta paint so much white women. like. There's just like, this is all I'm looking at is, is all of these women. And it was, it was like looking at it and not being able to find any, any, uh, anything that resonated with me. I mean, this sure. is like not anything that, that is, is part of my aesthetic, you know, it's part exactly. of my personal aesthetic. Exactly. Um, and so, yeah, it was, I started this series of kind of rewriting those images and, and doing them um, as Diné women and doing them as Chicana women. Um, yeah. I'm bicultural. I'm, right. I'm Chicana and I'm Diné. And uh, just doing doing women that I wanted to see. It was almost like for me when I looked at those, it was like, you know, the 1960s past, yeah. maybe up to the 80s, was like a void of any women of color. And so I really wanted to create the images that I admired, but create them in a way that I could recognize and relate to. So, yeah, I loved it. Yeah, so I started with that, and that was probably like the first body of work that I did that was like void of anything. It was just painting, it was just figurative work. And a few years later, um, wasn't until like my early 30s. What year are we talking there? Um, Just so 
people have a frame of reference? Yeah, I want to say like early 2000s. Okay. Um, I was approached by a curator who had known my work as a graffiti writer. Hmm. And it's funny how that comes around sometimes, huh? Yeah, yeah. That totally. family of graffiti people. We yeah, help each other out as time goes on. He was an older, he was an older, an older guy. Like he, sure. he wasn't a writer or anything. He just mm -hmm. knew my work. He knew, That's cool. He knew that I was a graffiti writer at one point. He knew I did that stuff. He knew that I was a painter. Yeah. And he was curating for this art and technology symposium. And they were painting these warehouses that were um, down here, kind of, uh, I guess, north of downtown on the railroad tracks. Yeah, and down on the railroad tracks. That's I remember that. Yeah, and we could we could have gamut of whatever walls we wanted. They were going to provide us. And there were lift. huge walls available. Yeah, it was really like, really immense spots. You, you could do basically whatever whatever you wanted, and so. He asked if I thought I could paint. It couldn't be graffiti. He was like, can you right. do something on a wall that's not graffiti? Could you paint one of your paintings on a wall? Yeah. And like honestly, before that moment, I had really never even thought of it. Like, sure. To me, they were separate worlds, you know? Absolutely. And well, and that's the thing. that Most people don't make that transition, but you've done it, and you've done it so amazing like I can't imagine you not doing murals for you know like I, I realize you could just stop doing it but to me it's such a big rich part of what you do in it and it complements the, the, the pieces me, in the frames you know yeah, it's for me it made sense I mean it doing that first piece was really like it felt like coming home you know yeah. really it just felt like coming it home just, is like uh, like in your it's in your inner spirit like this 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 feels like what I should be doing as an artist I feel good about this this is and it was comfortable like it painting would be, that big yeah it felt good to you didn't trip too bad I, on that. I think I am I think I'm not as good of a painter painting small <laughs> um, huh. yeah I think it, it's it's very challenging to me and it's very hmm. I mean when you go from I mean my my training, I guess, was painting outside with no limitations, right? If there was a pole or something, you painted over it. If there was like a conduit or oh, something. Oh, right, as a graffiti just, writer, yeah, you, you don't let those things mess up with your composition. Yeah, and you don't think about confining yourself within that. Like, oh, okay, I'm going to stop here because of that. It's like you just do it. Yeah. And I think that was the biggest limitation of moving to working on canvas was like understanding that limitation of working within a square. And so going back to a wall and being able to compose on these like slew of warehouses was like a dream and it just felt good. It felt like, okay, this is what I like. Like I like being able to utilize this. I like being able to, to step back. I like being able to work upright like that, you know, work big and use yeah. my body and be exhausted and sure. you know, all of the things that felt good about painting. Um, at that time I had a mentor He's still my mentor, um, Leopoldo Romero, and I was learning sign painting from him. And he is he a local guy? Yeah. He's How old very, is he? Oh, he's like I want to say he's like late sixties. Okay. Ooh, I hope you I hope you don't hear this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how old he is, but he's older. Yeah, that's cool. That's <laughs> cool. 
Yeah, yeah we don't want to bum out Leopoldo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she thinks I'm so old. Um, <laughs> he's young at heart, always. Um, That's cool. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he was teaching me sign painting. He's, he's a veteran muralist. He's been painting murals um, back in the 70s and 80s. Painted billboards as a sign painter. Um, mm. Incredibly talented person. And I think we forged a friendship through, I wanted to learn sign painting, still into the letter thing. Um, and also just philosophy, aesthetics of art, um, art ethics. Which again, is that's the kind of the bullshit that you would have learned in college. But yeah. again, now you've come around to where you're at a point in your career where, no, I want to know, I want to learn this. And right. I think that that's, there's a lesson to be learned there. But also you know? some of the things I think that people don't teach you unless you kind of have this friendship. And, and some of that's the politics, right? Like the sure. politics of art making. Yeah. And, and the, po- the politics of the community of art, I guess I want to say that. Sure. Um, but he, he became my mentor in, in how, to, how to deal with those situations as a young artist. And he, when I had first gotten this commission, I think this is really pivotal because I was, because I had always worked on a wall with spray paint. Um, I was gonna paint the mural with spray paint, all with spray paint. Sure. And he was really the one, he hated spray paint. He was sure. like, why, why do you guys do this shit? You know, yeah. it's just like, you're, he'd always say this, you're misting the wall, let's miss the wall with some paint. Like, yeah. <laughs> like sure. not, you know, not really drive the paint in there. Yeah. And like you know you, this thing you're gonna paint is huge um i think i was working on a 20 foot by like 100 feet span yeah wall that I I, is that wall still up it is but it's graffitied um, of course it is it was so big like, and it's yeah. right on the tracks yeah, yeah. so the it's been so many half, years the bottom half of it's like huh has layers of tags on it uh, yeah but um he yeah he's the one who really like pushed me to paint and it felt good. I actually good. really, really liked it. And, and from then on, it was, um, I think I got more, more, um, more commissions out yeah. of that period. But it was really about changing the idea of what I was doing. One of the things um, he had also said to me at that point that I, I think of all the time is, uh, you know, he was really really impressed that I had gotten this commission and that I was going to paint this huge wall just like right off the bat. Sure. And, um, well, you probably worked up to stuff that big and you got one dropped in your lap. Yeah. And uh, he had said to me, you know, you, you have the attention, you have the attention of the world on you. Like, what are you going to say? And for me... It's that, a good thing to hear. Yeah, and for me at that time, it was really just like, it really hit home with a lot of things. Um, and I really wanted to create imagery that I had never seen before. Um, yeah. A lot of that being about what my cultural experience was, what the philosophies of my culture sure. are, and the things that I hold sacred, the things that I hold important. Um, right. Can we uh, pause for a sec? Sure. I gotta throw some change in my uh, meter, so I'll, okay. just, I'll just hit pause. All right, and we're back. Um, thanks for letting me take a break. 
Um, so yeah, I want to let you kind of get more into what you're trying to get across in your paintings and your murals now. It's like you came to that place where you felt uh, fulfilled in the project and what you were trying to get across and, and that kind of continued into your work even today. So can you just kind of tell me a bit more about that perspective? Yeah, as, as a muralist, um, I think my work has gone into a couple, a couple of different facets, but one of, the, one of the main things that I'm interested in doing as a painter is, um, and, a, and a painter of, um, who has a native background, is showing um, the side of my culture and the side of, um, I guess, our philosophies and ways of thinking that aren't always shown. I think for me as an artist, looking at art, in particular native art, um, and looking at, at the, the history of that, right? Like mm -hmm. at it back into the past hundred years or so, a lot of that has been always focused on on the way that we look and also from from a largely anthropological perspective. Um, right, like the, the white guy's view on the thing. Right, I mean, even like Edward Curtis photos and, and things like that were, were very staged. And, and, right, and Edward Curtis, we should say, was a very famous black and white photographer, traveled through the West, photographed different tribes. Right, and um, I think he gets but, credited historically for, for documenting um, native peoples at, at that time, but somehow okay. his photography is still kind of this, like, this representation of who we are now. And the only thing that has survived on his representations, which which by the way were, were mostly all staged. Um, sure, so it wasn't like he showed up and it was just kind of this cool dude that chilled on the background and just was snapping some photos. <laughs> yeah. He was like, yo, I want you to stand here, you yes. need to be here and you need to look at me like this. Yeah. And, and we wear this and we wear that. Wear the ceremonial thing, yeah. even though it might not be that day. <laughs> yeah. Shit like that. Exactly. Which I think is the common complaint about supposed anthropological things like that, say, you know, where exactly. they're going to photograph. Like, there was even a book at my place, I remember, and it was like, uh, uh, it was titled, like, Before They're Gone. You know, mm -hmm. and it was these people in isolated places in the world. Yes. And you were just like, they're not gonna go anywhere. I'm like, where, <laughs> where, what are you talking about? Like, yeah. you're tripping, dude. You have a white guy's perspective on this. So, so anyway, I, I digress. But I, I feel like you're always a, a really great voice of reason for me in that, in that regard to call out bullshit. But please go on. Yeah, um, for me to view that as as a native person and and as an artist. Um, I've always been interested in the things that are important to me and the, the things that I feel um, are, are of significance and the things that, that uphold my indigeneity. Um, and that always comes back to, to the philosophies, the way of thinking. Um, and I think for, I think as an indigenous person and kind of looking at this um, academized, view of our culture, it's always like also noted 
primitive, in this primi primitive kind of scope, right? That oh, sure. We have, we have yeah. this primitive knowledge, and sure. for me, that's not the case. When I look back um, on our teachings, and I look back on, on our philosophies and our philosophies within spiritualism, um, it's, it's very advanced, and it's very, um, I think that it, it counters probably the highest, artistic movements that have been there and I think sure. that well even I scientifically I feel like that's you know, I feel like the, the you know like the, the Diné way of understanding a lot of things above and beyond art and whatnot are I don't know true you know you know what I mean like uh, I don't know how to say that properly I suppose yeah I mean I, I think for the most part it, that's been that's been aside as a as an indigenous artist that hasn't been celebrated enough. So as mm -hmm. as an artist, I take agency to create work for my people um, and make it highly visible. I also think um, I I enjoy seeing I enjoy seeing native people in public spaces, and I think that that level is something that isn't celebrated enough um, sure and celebrated enough in a very authentic way uh, I think a lot of the times when I do see representation still even now done by people who aren't indigenous it's still kind of going back to those archetypes of like you know people in headdresses or like mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know just celebrating the more like costumey uh, you know, regalia and, and the things that are external, but not really getting into the deep appreciation of, of our culture and understanding our culture and creating that kind of... Um, can, can we go into an example of how regular culture has kind of misinterpreted something? And because you bring up like the headdresses is a very common thing in tattooing and you'll often see a tattoo of a, a figure of a woman wearing a, like a, what I would think of as a chief's headdress when, you know, maybe would a, you know, who gets to wear the headdress? I, I, I thought that was a really particular yeah. thing. Like the headdress means something. There's a, a accumulated uh, worth in, dis, in the display. And I, I think that, um, I mean, these are, these are images of pop culture, right? Right. Um, it's not to say that they aren't offensive and that they don't have, that there isn't significance behind it. I think mm -hmm. that era um, of that kind of iconography coming about came out of like the 1950s and like mm -hmm. this Western, um, this Western era, right? The Cowboys yes. and Indians Western era where, mm -hmm. where they were setting up this, you know, good guy versus bad guy thing. And I think it was just such a, a popular idea, right? Having that take on many different forms of the good guy versus bad guy, that that transcended in different areas of pop culture. Mm -hmm. The problem is, is that because colonization attempted to erase native culture, they attempt, uh, attempted to essentially erase all of us um, and through genocide was that that symbol became now a commodification. It became mm -hmm. a product, right? It became just um, 
something to consume. It, it lost its significance in, in any kind of pop culture. And because it was viewed as for so many decades as being this you know, object to consume, I think that people still now think that that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really do feel like as an artist, I take the agency to not do that, to, to combat that with images that are authentic and that have meaning and that really, really assert, I, I think for me most importantly, um, is asserting the notion that this is all indigenous land. This is indigenous land before this building was there. This was indigenous land. There was, there was cities, there was um, people all over North and South America. There was, you know, different communities, different tribes um, that existed that had, you know, all their different <laughs> ways of, of approaching the world. And sometimes it's intermingled and some didn't, but all, every part of this continent um, was already inhabited. There was already cities here. There was already mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. life moving sure. on and taking place for thousands of years before anybody came. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't primitive in any way. And those are the things that I, I take agency in when I, when I paint on a building is I want people to recognize that in this urban space, that this space is still ours and what that dialogue is. Because I, I think that spaces still hold a memory, spaces still have a connection with people. And I think we are in those spaces to evoke that memory, to evoke that space and its purpose. Sure. And art can play a critical role in that, in creating and fostering that kind of dialogue. So, well, you've done that in particular. I mean, do you still have some walls even here in Albuquerque that are like particularly about issues uh, affecting the native community locally? Wasn't there the, what was there? The one where you painted your son. Oh, the that's Mount on Taylor Central, piece. right. Yeah, Mount Taylor. Yeah. That w- wasn't that a big issue when yeah. that came up? And yeah. I, that's what I feel like. You didn't just paint you know, some stereotypical image of some Navajo person, you painted your son, right, you know, right. and he's the representative. And, and I thought that was just so beautiful and just the way that that came together and that it did have this deeply political message above and beyond the fact that the thing was just gorgeous. Oh man, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I mean, that's where I feel like my work maybe takes a lot of different facets. Um, yeah. As a muralist, I, I work with a lot of different organizations um, because I, I do feel creating public artists is a voice in a way. Um, I think it has a tremendous potential for visibility and creating that conduit between public um, and, and uh, contemporary issues, right? Things, mm-hmm. And it, it Art has, a, art has an interesting way to palette it also, where it can be abstract and it can be abrupt, but it can also um, be be kind of a, I want to say like like a mutual platform, right? People can, can come to that piece and, and, it's public. and discuss it, right? Exactly. It's accessible. Um, it's accessible to everybody. It's not like I'm creating this highly political work, but only you can see it if you pay the admission fee or sure. something like that. Sure. Um, yeah, and for that reason, I, 
I do part partner with a lot of different um, organizations because I like to lend that voice and I like the content of the work to be meaningful, um, right. to be a me meaningful catalyst um, in whatever 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 way that that takes shape or form. Yeah. Um, you should be given a lot of credit for that, I think, too, because there's probably a lot of street art kids that could give a shit about like. <laughs> Well, doing something yeah, for their community yeah, or even thinking about that you know and, and you know I like that, that public you're doing art that. that people just like are like art art should be art should be everywhere you know True. and in some ways I agree with that sometimes I, I mean I'm not I'm not gonna say I like every piece of public art that's out there because I don't um, but I think that we should always come to it with a conscious perspective that that your work um, is imposed on people, whether you want it to be or not. And if your work is imposed on people, what are you gonna do with that imposition, right? Like, what are you gonna do with that? And sometimes people don't give a shit. They're just like, I don't care if this is offensive. It's art, you know? But I think you have to take a little bit more social responsibility within that, or at least if it is gonna be offensive, what are you gonna do with that weight? Of offensiveness, right? Mm -hmm. like, where are you going to channel that? Where is that going to go after that? Like, you can't not think about that. Like, not think about those implications. And if you are going to make something completely offensive, completely like, at well, least it gets least, written off sometimes if it's just too offensive or. You yeah, know, people I mean, are just like, I don't even want to look at that for a second more to even figure out what they're talking <laughs> about. Right, right. Um, for my work, I. I like doing work that's site-specific. I like work that has a relationship to the landscape and using using that opportunity to create visibility for indigenous peoples. Um, I feel like our story, our narrative, um, our implications on land and space and time have not been heard enough, yeah. in, especially in urban areas. Um, and I like being able to use my work to foster that. Um, I did a piece in Lansing recently. In Michigan? In Michigan. Hmm. And more and more, you know, when I travel out to different places, I'm, I'm not taking on the, the role of, of a Diné artist or a Chicana artist, because like in Lansing, there's like, you know, there's, there's not, there's no Diné. There's, I'm far away from my res, I'm far away from my culture. And it's still important for me not to appropriate somebody else's, right? And, For sure. And not just to go into somebody else and think that I know the best thing for this community, not think that I know the best imagery that they need, that they want. Mm -hmm. um, so in that process, part of my process has really been inclusive of community interaction and, com uh, and community input. So part of that piece was meeting with um, the migrant community that's there hmm. and the Anishinaabe community that's there and, and sitting down and conversating and talking and and I mean the ideas of the, the work that came out of that I could never have created on my own. I could have never What like, was the, the result of that? Um, the result of it was it was creating a piece um, they, they have an interesting an interesting uh, tidbit of history. So the, the location of the wall was on a part of town that is, uh, is like 
kind of getting gentrified, I guess, or is kind of, uh, what's the term? Um, re Redeveloped or? Redeveloped, yeah. Sure. Redeveloped. Yeah, rezoning <laughs> is usually involved in that. Yeah. yeah. So, um, which, which uh, of course, at one point was like the working class kind of side of town. Now it's like the, the swanky, right? Um, the main street of that is, is called Cesar y Chavez Avenue. Um, prior to that street being named that, um, the, the community for, for naming the, the street, Cesar y Chavez, had named a different street, Cesar y Chavez. And the, the city um, had petitioned against it and got it taken off. Mm. And it took, I think, seven years, I hope I'm not misquoting that, but to get a new street renamed. Uh. It became an avenue which is actually better, but it came cool. back bigger and stronger. <laughs> um, so the location of the wall is right off of that avenue. Okay. And it was really important for me to meet with the community members who come from migrant family backgrounds, who are connected with the migrant. There's a large migrant family population in Lansing. Mm-hmm. Um, and here kind of, you know, what, what they thought about a mural and also right. just like sit down and talk with them in, in a very kind of genuine way of, of you know, I'm, I'm going to be making work in your community. Like what, what is important? What's, a, what's Lansing like really? What's, what's here? And did the same thing respectively um, with some, with the native community and learned a lot about uh, Anishinaabe um, traditions because it's very I mean it's different different traditions different culture different tribes um, handle handle everything I think that's the thing that happens a lot with native cultures is people think like oh we'll do we'll do something to honor the natives and then they put you know in downtown Albuquerque somebody with like a headdress on and it's like no like nobody out here wears anything like that like we don't we don't practice no that, you know? yeah so we're not we're not all the same you know we not at all. all very diverse very rich we've all had centuries and centuries of developing our own culture traditions beliefs medicines sure. uh, ways of being in the world right yeah so it was important for me to approach this mural with that kind of consciousness so that way i'm not coming into somebody else's community in a sense colonizing it into what I think should be there or or putting imposing my beliefs my thoughts that really that it comes from an organic and very honest place you're 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 thinking about it so much more than most artists that would just get a job do a drawing at home go to the place put the painting up be stoked get their Instagram likes get their (laughs) You know, it's seriously. All the lights. Well, no. Well, part of it kind of is. I mean, if yeah. you're just a, a a career painter, career muralist, like, yeah, that kind of is the bottom line, and you can get away with it. That's why I, I, you know, I'm I'm fascinated by how you're working. You know, because you actually are engaging, and you, it's like, and you're also like, you're you're vi- you don't have a vision for the thing yet, and that, to me, that shows incredible flexibility and 
and confidence in your own work that you can just go listen to these people in the, in the local community there, right? And then create something on the spot for them. Oh, that's just so much more than somebody showing up and rocking a mural, you know? And well, I, I'm me, just so, I'm glad we're, we're talking about this. For me, that's what it's about. I think every mural that I do, there's, there's a lot of research that goes, there's a lot of time before the actual thing is painted. Um, I, I was talking to somebody the other day and it's actually like when I'm up there painting, that's, that's like the more kind of automatic meditative same for you me. Know? Yeah. yeah. It's, you just work. Yeah, it's the work. And it's, it's mindless and it's wonderful. Yeah, it's like, it could, it could, I could, it's almost like glorified window washing or something. Sure. <laughs> sure. It's a great be, way to put it. It could be down to the same kind of automation. I mean, there is a little bit of problem solving here and there, but like when it gets to that point of actually painting the thing, um, it's, it's pretty automatic. Like I know what I'm doing. I put on the headphones, you know, I, and I, and I can do it for, you know, I work 12 hours a day or so. But before that point is all of the things that, that I think are fulfilling to me, that nourish me as an artist, as a human, um, just as a person kind of curious about the world, curious about people. Um, and that's really being having the chance to connect, hear other people's stories, um, find these connections that I'm always fascinated by. Um, yeah, the connection people. Of, of, of relationship, right? Yeah. That you can meet somebody that you've never met before. You could be someone. Well, and it's public it. art. It yeah. should be about the public, about the people, for the people, of, I think. You, you know, I mean, but then there's the other side of me that's the graffiti writer that's just like, oh, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to do it. I don't give a <laughs> shit what anybody thinks about this at all. Right, right. Yeah. Which yeah. I think you have too, obviously, I, you know. I save that kind of momentum, I guess, for, for my own pieces um, yeah. that I make. I mean, for me, I feel like that's that's what you could do in a gallery. Like, sure. you know, buy the shit or don't buy the shit. Like, I don't give a Well, and I think that's a, a, a thing to bring up too, is that you do have like a, a real fine art practice. And, you know, your paintings in frames and whatnot are... I mean, they look a lot like the murals, but it's different. Yeah. You know? um, yeah, I, I mean... Are they more personal, say? Because in the fine art, you're, you're just expressing what you want to on your own terms without having to think about anybody. Right, yeah. yeah. I, I do think that they are. I, I really like when I'm creating public work to, to have that social engagement aspect. Um, that's great. <laughs> yeah, not not to say that um, you know that there's commissions from time to time that that are a little bit more free, but I think that that I feel that kind of responsibility within creating the work, and I'm interested in it. Yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, when I create work um, on my own in my studio, or it's for myself, or um, I I take that liberty to to explore ideas that that I'm interested in. Um, no, me too. Same way. Same way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, compositions or, or even things that I, um, I, I... It's a different format, too. Um, I think that I really like the idea of working within a collection of work. I do, too. It's a, it's a complete thought and idea, whereas um, doing a mural is kind of like, for me, I don't, 
I'm not interested in like making every mural look the same. <laughs> sure, know? sure. Like the same thing, you know, in yeah. Albuquerque, and then I'm gonna paint like the same whatever. I don't know. I'm gonna yeah. The, the whatever, the mermaid girl or something, and I'm sure. gonna paint her there and paint her over there and paint her over there, and you know, just do the same kind of. Uh, but for other people that works that's their shtick it's true. right it's true. same damn thing everywhere you go oh yeah. i recognize that that dude did that or yeah. she did that or person whatever. who paints the dogs or the yeah. Who yeah, yeah 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 it doesn't matter but um for me each time i do a mural it's kind of like this e- each piece is its own piece and it has its own uh history it has its own way of kind of coming to that point mm-hmm. and you know, within that, I, I find my connection to it all. Um, the piece in, in Lansing in Michigan was a depiction of strawberries picking. People picking strawberries? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, of a woman picking strawberries. Oh, cool. And it really came out of this conversation uh, that I had with a couple of elders and, and also with them. Um, some people of the migrant community, and it was really about this idea of labor, right? Mm-hmm. And, and understanding the celebration of labor, right? The celebration mm-hmm. of work and having pride or kind of coming to that understanding of, of work. And which, you know, a lot of people kind of don't have, frankly. You know what I mean? In modern society, it feels like real hard manual labor isn't looked like highly on, you know? I I think because it's like you want the suit job where you're just making money and you're not having to sweat and yet, you know? But I like to work. I get you. But even even at that, like even I think work in itself is not celebrated. We celebrate the vacation, right? Sure. The time I get off. you. We yes. Yes. The money side of it. Sure. But really, um, I like. I think no matter what you're doing, that there's no escaping it, right? We all kind of come. I mean, even if you are the guy in the suit, um, even us as artists, you get to that point of working that you just have to kind of push through, and mm-hmm. that was something that I think um, is a philosophy that I think a lot of cultures. And I think a lot of elders understand is that that moment of being able to persevere through action, being able to persevere through labor, persevere through your work, whatever that is, whatever that mind is. If you're studying and you're in college and you just have to like keep doing it, even though it hurts, even though you're tired. Sounds like a graffiti um, writer's life. Yeah. Night and, after night getting chased and shot at and robbed and, <laughs> yeah, you that, know, you keep at it. Somehow there's a celebration in that, right? That somehow, yeah. how, some, somehow there's that human connection there. Totally. And um, so really that's what the piece is about. Um, that's cool. But the strawberries is significant um, because the majority of our berries comes from Michigan. Oh, that's, I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, it's... Um, hand-picking migrant labor up mm-hmm. there. Oh, okay. Um, so that that is the labor that, that's taking place up there. And then also, uh, for Anishinaabe, the strawberry is very significant because it's the first fruit that comes out. In um, the spring? Yeah. 
Ah, uh, the first fruit. Yeah. That's a big deal. It is. And yeah. It's, it's a, I didn't know that. There's strawberry. A of, there's a lot of significance and a lot of significance for women um, ah. around that fruit. So it, Can you go into that? It, I, I don't want to go completely into it because I don't... Yeah, oh, sure. It's just like stuff you learned when you were there. <laughs> yeah, kind, I kind of. Yeah, the specifics might not be all. Right. Um, and I don't, I don't want to like. Um, but there's, there's a an association there. So yeah, speak. yeah, yeah. That's cool. Where else can people see like if you got murals still running in other cities in the country or the world? Yeah. Um, Rochester? I, did you do? I did a piece in Rochester this past year also. Um, Where is that if people are in Rochester? <laughs> have no idea. Oh, shoot. Who's this lady? <laughs> do, do you remember the corner? You don't? That's fine. Sometimes I remember, sometimes I don't. Um, That's cool. But Rochester. Rochester has an incredible amount of murals. Um, yeah, who, who's organizing the mural yeah, thing? There's somebody there that's like doing it, right? Yeah, like curating the city kind of. It's wall therapy. Wall um, therapy, that's right. I was connected with those guys. I, I haven't largely dug into doing a lot of the, the street art mural festival kind of thing. Sure. It's kind of been these like one-off things because I mean, right. I've already explained my whole practice in this whole site. That's not your focus at all. Yeah, but what they're doing out there is is really really beautiful. Um, I think if you have a, if anyone has a chance to go to Rochester, they've for the past oh I don't even know for for a while now they've been curating internationally artists um, to come in and paint amazing walls. So yeah, there's there's some very very incredible work, and it's like everywhere everywhere. Yeah. I mean I think that there's something like. I don't know, over 200 or something sure. crazy like that. So, um, oh, that's cool. Yeah, I did, I did a pretty big piece um, that is, I don't know the street. Uh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I just kind of put you on the spot. Are, are there any other ones? Um, yeah, the year before, I also did a piece um, in Kingston, New York. Kingston, okay. Um, I did a piece last year in, in um, Battle Creek, Michigan. Wow. Los Angeles. Yeah, you're getting around. Is that something you just kind of will take advantage of when you feel like it? Or is it something you want to pursue, trying to put murals up all over the country? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm interested in, in relationship and dialogue, right? I yeah, think. so I could, so you could see that continuing. Yeah. I mean, if you I, like that, and yeah. the murals facilitate that yeah, kind of... Yeah, and, and I love painting on walls. I, I think for yeah. me, until I can't anymore, that my body hurts. And I mean, there's <laughs> that side of it that's sure. kind of hard, you know, but... Um, I uh, we'll just be able to put you on a drone. Just be able to sit there yeah, and just paint like, like, on the wall like, like, anything. I'll be like clothes. Yeah, you'll be chilling. Don't worry about it. That's the future we're talking about. Or I'll just like... Yeah, some machine will just. Well, they already have the drones that can do murals. Oh my god, don't tell me that. Yeah. Have a job. Um, Not really, though. Again, it's yeah. made by a machine, and we're, we're human beings, and the machine can't go sit down with the people in Lansing and figure out what to paint. Very true. You know, that's. Yeah, that's I mean, you're in, never going to. In that way, I really uh, do enjoy. 
like the physicality, which mm. is also why I paint with brushes now. Um, at some point after I had been painting with brushes, I, I kind of went back and I did a mural in Las Cruces with spray paint. Mm. And it was like, it just felt cheap. <laughs> no, no. I, you know what, Nani? I know, I know. I find spray paint to be incredibly uh, difficult and just, uh, I just, yeah, it's lost its mystique to me. Even though the paint quality has gotten so much better, like, I would much rather just go up with a bucket of paint and some rollers of different sizes and a few brushes. Even the last time that I did a, a mural was in Denver at the Crush Walls with... Patrick McGregor and Jason Garcia, and I used a brush in one shot, and it was all one shot, the whole wall, and it was incredibly difficult. I, you know, it really humbled me. It was so hard. I had intended to do so much more to that wall, but day after day after day, I was just kind of, just like I say, just humbled by it. It was an incredibly tedious and slow process, but it just, it's beautiful. The finished product is amazing. Yeah, I like uh, I like the way the paint gets in into the wall. Uh, I do too, but that's the hard part, kind of too. You know, depending on the wall, if it's smooth or if it's like a cinder block. Right. You know? But um, I think, I guess to be clear, for for me to paint a portrait, um, or to to do kind of painterly qualities with spray paint, um, it, it's. It doesn't feel the same. I, I really mm. like the I like mark making. I like, yeah. I like that side of it. Um, I do still like. I think that nothing compares to like being able to flow with spray paint. Feels. It's so just, fast in that way. Yeah. Constant. It just feels really nice and it's like a marker for a wall. It just goes. Right. If you have a really, especially if you have like you know a metal surface or a surface that's just like really smooth or really. You know, it has some layers of paint. It just feels really good on it. But yeah. um, I think for the most part, I like painting with brushes because I like the physicality. I like being able to um, like make that contact yeah. in a way. Yeah, right, um, right. No, I know exactly what you something mean. Something physically just feels good about it. Talk tattooing is for me. Right. Contact. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I got your bleeding body in my arms. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Contact. Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, do you have any shows coming up? Where's, uh, you know, I know you're working on new stuff. Do you have a... Yeah, um, let's see. Next year, I'll be in, um, in an exhibition at the Hispanic Cultural Center. Um, oh, here in Albuquerque. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an amazing all, place. Amazing all, shows there I've seen over the years. It'll be a Chola show. Fuck so yeah. Come out, yeah. Oh, I'll come for sure. Hell yeah. A couple of... Wow. Really large paintings. Great, great. Have a few older ones. Cool. And when is that? It'll open in March. March of next year. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I have a couple of commissions. Um, one at Ithaca College. In New York. Yeah, in New York. Okay. And I'll be in a show out there also. That's all about process, which cool. I think will be an interesting show to be in because um, if you're up there it, it'll, it's curated by Jeffrey and Hayes who's a, a really great curator mm -hmm. but um, I like this 
idea of the show because there is a lot of a, a lot of what gets celebrated, of course, when doing murals or doing paintings is like the end product. And like we were just saying, that's kind of comes after all of this other stuff happens. So sure. in that show will be notes. We'll yeah, you get to show we'll your be, process, yeah. which I think is such an important part of your work. Yeah, you know? well, I, I'm, well it's, to me, it's like it's uh, it's it, it's extra. It gives it depth. You know what I mean? Because at, at, at a surface level, when I see your work, I can just appreciate it just for it being a beautiful picture too. You know what I mean? Right. But then to learn that there's so much more to it, I I just I, I love that. That's cool. So I think we could probably wrap it up there. Okay. It's pretty chilly in your studio it's now. Cool. We had to turn the heater <laughs> off because it was too noisy. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, Mike. It was yeah. fun. Right on. Chatting. Cool.